135 of Board Game Blitz, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to get a Tetris after you accidentally blocked the hole on the side of the screen. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we're talking about our favorite games that use polyomino shapes. First, we discuss a couple games we've played recently, including some online escape room games and Nidavellir. Then, we run down our top five favorite polyomino games. And now, here are your hosts, Ambie and Crystal. One quick announcement before we hop into the main episode, and that is that at the end of this month, on July 31st, is the next Tabletop Live Network Marathon. If y'all haven't heard of Tabletop Live Network, I don't know where you've been because we've been talking about it a lot (laughs) since last fall. It is a collection of board game Twitch streamers who all get together and do a 24-hour marathon once a month. So this month, it's going to start on July 31st at noon Pacific and end on August 1st at noon Pacific. But we are going to be streaming on July 31st, and that is a Saturday at 8 p.m. Pacific time. We usually have an afternoon slot, so I'm very excited because we got a nighttime slot this time. Um, So we will be announcing what game we will be streaming in the near future, so stay tuned for that. And we will see you all on July 31st over at twitch.tv slash boardgameblitz. Recently, I played a bunch of escape room games. Oh, not not board games, but escape rooms, like virtual escape rooms. So I really like escape rooms, and I got a couple of review copies of escape rooms, but I also bought some escape rooms, so I'm going to talk about a lot of them now. <laughs> so one company that I really like that makes escape rooms is called Scrap, S-C-R-A-P. I've played some physical ones here in the Bay Area, but they're originally from Japan, and so Scrap Japan has a bunch of virtual escape rooms that they made in the last year. And by a bunch, I mean like two or three. (laughs) But the first one that I played is called Escape from the Science Lab of Shifting Rules. And I actually did this for my birthday, so a couple of months ago. And it was really, really fun. (laughs) It was kind of like the video game Baba is You uh, in an escape room. So Baba is You is like a puzzle video game where you have rules written out like baba is you and you can move the words to change like you to rock or something and it turns baba into a rock (laughs) like stuff like that and so in the escape room it was made to be a virtual escape room and there's a person there talking to you and and doing things and then there's like movie magic because you're looking at them through zoom i'm not gonna spoil any of them any of the escape rooms I'm talking about, but like it was really cool because you're just trying to change rules in order to change things that you can do and then escape the room. And I really, really liked it, but it was for six people max and it ended up being like around $30 per person. So that was more like an actual escape room cost. Whereas the other ones that I'm going to be talking about are cheaper. So the next one that I played was escape from the two base stations, which is a two player one. And it's also from Scrap Japan. But this one, you buy and you get like a physical envelope of a lot of papers. And so that was kind of like a board game escape room. It was more like a board game escape room, but it had online entry. And what was cool about this is a two-player and limited communication. So you're supposed to be in separate rooms. So they give you inside the main envelope, there's an envelope that you can use to send to the person you're playing with. So you can play remotely with someone else. But I just played with Toby. For this one, it... I didn't like it as much. It, some of the puzzle, puzzles were fun, but some were kind of confusing. And then because of the limited communication, um, if one person understood the puzzles and the other person didn't, then 
the person who completes it is just like waiting for the other person to finish and that can be kind of frustrating <laughs> but that one was this like a I don't remember how much that one cost, but it was cheaper. More like a board game escape room. So that was Escape from the Two Base Stations. And then from Scrap Japan, I got a review copy of Escape from Lockdown, the Demon Fortress, which is a another virtual escape room. So this one, it's not like a timed slot, whereas the first one that I played was a timed slot because it uses an actual person that's interacting with you. But this one's like more of a movie, kind of like an interactive video that you're watching. So it's almost like those old point-and-click games that used video footage in them or whatever? Uh, yeah, kind of, except for like I, most of the video footage is the same. So it's not super choose-your-own-adventure. So there's videos with puzzles in between them. Okay. But the videos were pretty cool. It was in Japanese, like all the actors were speaking Japanese, but there were English subtitles. Toby and I are used to watching anime in Japanese with subtitles, so like that was fine with for us. There were a bunch of characters that were all like anime tropes too, so I'm not sure how well that would go to people who don't watch much anime. Or, <laughs> but uh, So it, it had like story. I, I really liked the story of this one, but some of the puzzles, the instructions were a little confusing, maybe because of the translation. All of the puzzles were in English, but like... It's made by people in Japan, so uh, I don't know if like some of the puzzles, the tra like the translation of the instructions was a little confusing, um, but yeah, it was cool because you would watch the video and then the website actually had a summary of what happened in the video and like oh nice hints for each puzzle too. So we actually used some of the hints, which was helpful. And then you did the puzzle and it was kind of like a puzzle mixed with an RPG type fighting because the story was that you're like. A, a hero fighting stuff. You're they're the puzzle hero, because <laughs> there was like different types of heroes, and you're the puzzle hero. <laughs> but yeah, I really like the story, and that was fun. It took about two hours for that one. So that one is a non-timed escape room, the Escape from Lockdown, the Demon Fortress. They also have another one that I haven't done yet. That's like Escape from Lockdown, something about a castle or something. I want to try that one though. So those are all from Scrap Japan. You can go to the website realescapegame.jp and they're all there and they're all virtual. They have some other virtual stuff too and some like daily puzzles or something, which is And cool. then you said that they have actual physical escape rooms in Japan as well, right? Yes, we haven't done any of those because I think those ones are in Japanese and okay. we were only in Japan once. No. <laughs> so, right, well, but, yeah. I mean, who knows? We may have a listener or two in Japan, so. Yes, but they also have locations like... There's scrap in um, San Francisco. So I've done oh, yeah, some of right. the scrap escape rooms and I think they have some in LA. So they have like branches. Okay. Which might be translations or brought over of ones that started in Japan. I'm not really sure how they make the real escape ones. But okay. Yeah. Another company, uh, we got a review copy of Webscapade, which is a new escape, virtual escape room company. Crystal and I both played this together. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> it was fun. We like we don't mm -hmm. tend to play games online super often unless we're streaming. And so it yeah. was it was nice to get together and play a game where we weren't having to be like to actually like, talk to an audience at the same time. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, I love streaming a lot, but like <laughs> escape rooms take longer when you're streaming them because you have mm -hmm. to interact with the chat. So it was nice to yeah. not have to worry about that piece of it. <laughs> that's true. And we actually finished really quickly. We finished super fast, which I I'm I don't know whether that means we just were really good at it or what. Like <laughs> Well, it said we were like the the fastest time. 
So I, I don't know how many people have done it though, but <laughs> yeah, but yeah, especially because um, they could have theoretically just launched it recently. Yeah. So. Yeah. So this one, it's webscapade.com. And then the one that we did was Argentina, like season one or something. Yeah. Welcome it, to Arginia. Arge- Arginia. Okay. It was a, a made up country, I think. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think I kept reading, reading it as Argentina. Okay. But yeah, so this one, it felt kind of, to me, it felt kind of like an unlock type game but with multiple tabs instead of cards because you're opening up different tabs in your browser and looking each tab has different like clues and stuff and you click on like one of them would have a room and you click on different parts of it and it would open up different tabs and then when you get to when you solve a certain puzzle then it says oh you can close tabs this this and this and then you can close Yeah and it was so like felt like unlocked it did get rid this of honestly it kind of felt like if you combined like a point and click adventure game with mm-hmm. an unlock game Yeah yeah and they did, they used the fact that you were in a web browser, they used that to some, to some for some pretty cool effects within the game. Like, we there were some things where we were like, well, what do we do next? And then looking at the things that were available to us, we were like, oh, wait, this makes sense thematically. <laughs> like, they actually, like, did a pretty good job of, you know, like, since you're in a web browser on the internet, like, what would mm-hmm. you normally do? in this situation and so it kind of helped even though we were playing a virtual escape room it helped bring it into the real world at least a little bit more than (laughs) especially like an unlock game for instance yeah but this was another one that's not gm'd so you can do it at any time and we played it with well we we played it technically with three players but toby wasn't really um paying attention so it was mostly toby wasn't yeah he wasn't a fan so ambie and i kind of just ran with it (laughs) yeah yeah, and then when we're playing with multiple players, you can like look at everything individually, but then in order to proceed, everyone needs to enter in the codes. There's like codes that you need to enter into certain places. In order to see more stuff, you'll have to enter it in yourself. So you need to be communicating through like Zoom or Skype or something. Yeah. So this one was pretty easy. I, I felt like it was easy. Yeah, the puzzles were not like. Yeah. They weren't super difficult. I think this is definitely not like a kid-friendly escape room only because of the it's content. Not really, yeah. It's not super dark or super grisly, but there is some. there are some adult themes that are referenced. But yeah, I'd say puzzle difficulty-wise, like if you've got pre-teens or teenagers, I think that this would be actually mm-hmm. a pretty decent one for that age group, uh, in, in addition to adults. Yeah, and I think it might be a good uh, introductory escape room too for that age group yeah yeah because like we we've both had like a lot of experience with escape rooms right yeah we we know what to look for basically like (laughs) so that was a webscapade and for our listeners they're giving a discount on webscapade of 25 percent off through the end of july so if you use the promo code blitz b-l-i-t-z the capitalization doesn't matter you get 25 percent off through the end of july so yeah, if you've been wanting to try a virtual escape room and you want one with some, you know, not super difficult puzzles, go check it out. All right. Well, as much as I would love to continue the escape room talk, I'm going to bring us back to regular board games for just a brief moment because I played a new to me game that's actually fairly new to lots of things. I believe it just got released here in the States within the past few months, although I think it originally released elsewhere in 2020. And that is Nidavellir. 
I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but I'm probably going to say it about eight different ways throughout the course of this. So I'm just going to keep <laughs> moving on. So this is one of those games. You all have heard me talk about stuff like this before, where it's really difficult to describe the feel of this game in an audio medium. Like, it's one of those games that if I just explain the mechanics to you, it will not sound impressive. Because if someone had described the mechanics of this game to me, I would have been like, yeah, that doesn't sound that exciting. But... <laughs> I, spoiler alert, I am in love with this game. So I actually got to play it on Board Game Arena. Uh, I have not played the physical version yet. My friend Kathy taught it to me and I got to play it with her and my friend Elissa, who just moved to Sweden. And it was the first game that we all played together after, since Elissa had moved to Sweden. So that was really fun and special um, because, you know, it's hard to play with somebody who's nine hours ahead of you time zone wise. So in Nidavellir, it is a card drafting set collection game with a bidding mechanism that helps you obtain the cards. So all of the cards contain different types of dwarves on them. I don't remember what all the things are. There's like warriors and hunters. And each type of dwarf will score differently at the end of the game based on the sets you've collected. So some of them, it's just, you know, escalating points. Some of them, it's based on other factors. I'm, again, it's one of those things, if I describe it, it won't mean anything in an audio medium. Just know that each type of dwarf scores differently, and so when you're collecting sets of things, they don't all score the same way. You also are trying to diversify, because when you collect one of each type, then you get to recruit a hero. And the heroes are dwarves that have really special powers, and they can get added into the collections for your other types of dwarves, but they do really cool special things. So when you're getting these cards from the board, you're bidding on them. And all of the players start with five coins to bid with. And one of those coins is a zero value coin. Uh, everyone will bid simultaneously. And then once bids are revealed, you go highest to lowest in drafting order for each of the sets of cards that are available on the table. But if you ever bid your zero coin, in addition to picking last for that set of cards, what you get to do is the, there's only three sets of cards to bid on in any given round and you always have five coins. If you bid your zero coin, you get to take the two coins you didn't use that round, add them together, and then replace the highest value coin of the two with a new coin equal to the sum of the coins. So it's easier if I give examples. So if I have five, four, three, two, zero in my collection, and I use the three and the two, um, Basically, if you end up with your five and your four left that you didn't bid and you did use your zero to bid, then you get a nine value coin in, to, uh, to replace the five. And you can keep doing that throughout the game to get coins as high as 25. So it's really interesting because what you're bidding with changes. It's dynamic throughout the course of the whole game. So it's not this thing like in some bidding games where everybody is always bidding with the same stuff and you're like, oh, a tie, a tie, another tie. Oh, I know what you're going to bid here. Like it, it makes it a little more interesting and dynamic. The heroes have really cool powers that mix things up and will help change your strategy. Really at its core, it is essentially a pretty simple set collection game, but I just... It's one of those games, man, it just scratched my brain in the right way. I really, really like it. Um, I am already looking for a copy, but apparently it's hard to get right now, which, you know what, that makes sense to me because having played it, I, I can see why other people would want to get a copy of this as well. And it's published by, 
I don't even know how to pronounce this publisher's name. Grr Games? G-R-R-R-E. <laughs> Designed by Serge Leger. And yeah, Knit Valier is a big win for me. I really enjoy it. I want to play it more right now. And if you like set collection games or games with a bidding mechanism, I would say it's one that you should definitely take a look at. It's time for a top five episode. We haven't done a list in some amount of time, probably not that long, because I like doing lists. And the people seem to enjoy it when we do them. So we're going to do another one. Mm-hmm. And today, today, we're talking about our top five games that use polyominoes. So mm. I guess we should define first, what is a polyomino? I learned this term from board games, actually. I, you know what? I think I did too. Like, because I'm trying to think... If I knew any of the terms, like I knew domino, yeah, obviously. Domino. Most people know domino. From, you know, dominoes, which is a board game. Right. <laughs> and I think at some point in my young life, I think I knew tetramino because of mm-hmm. Tetris. Because of Tetris. But I don't know if that how well that stuck. But polyomino yeah. is uh, kind of a catch-all term. Basically, when you have squares that are joined to one another to make another shape of some kind. Uh, And the number of squares that build up that shape are kind of what determines what the name is. So tetramino, tetra means four. So it's four squares organized into a shape of some kind. Domino means two. Triomino is three. Something like that, probably. And there's probably more, but uh, I don't know all of my Latin very well. uh, So I'm going to stop guessing at what anything else is. But basically polyomino just means multiple... Yeah. So it can it, it encompasses shapes of multiple configurations. But not just one square. Yes, not just one square. <laughs> that, that would be a, like all of the games. <laughs> that is kind of all of the games, yeah. <laughs> so, Ambie, did you play Tetris growing up? Uh, not like a whole lot. I mean, I, mean, I, I had played it, but I didn't really get into it until Tetris 99 came out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then I started learning like T-spins and stuff. Nice. I am bad at T-spins, for the record. Tetris 99, I'm not that good at. I've never won. I think the highest I've ever gotten is only like 13th or something. It's not that good. I haven't even made the top 10. Um, But I did play a lot of original Tetris on the NES when I was little. I don't remember how good I was. I would say, like, as a casual player, I felt like I was good at it. But obviously, Mm -hmm. if you watch, if if you've never seen competitive Tetris, you should look that stuff up because it is nonsensical like yeah i only watched it after tetris 99 came out and i was like wow <laughs> yeah i've uh, they've done a couple of different tetris runs during games done quick this video game mm-hmm. speed running marathon that happens every now and then and i literally you can't even follow what's happening like like they're making decisions so fast i can't even comprehend but what's neat is while tetris is probably where a lot of people learned about polyomino style shapes Board games have kind of picked up polyominoes over the past, I'd say, like, five-ish years. There have definitely been polyomino games longer than that, but I'd say it's become more of a popular trend in the past few years. And we've played enough of them that we figured we could make a top five list. Yeah, so I'll go into my list now. Yeah, do you want to start with your number five? Yeah, yeah, but actually, as I was making my list, I realized that I actually hadn't played as many as I thought I'd played. I think I just have a lot that I want to play. (laughs) 
Oh, okay. <laughs> I would say my short list, but before I narrowed down to my top five, I only I technically only put 12 games onto my short list. I think there were a couple others I could have added, but that my 12 was what I was narrowing down from. I, I had eight. <laughs> okay. See, that's, that's still not that bad. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so my last, my number five and number four are both games I've only played a couple times or maybe once. Uh, my, my number five I've only played once, so, but I liked it. Um, so yeah, my number five, speaking of Tetris, is Ahail, um, which is the most Tetris-like board game that I've played. The theme of Ahail is um, like a Portuguese dance festival or something, but basically you have Tetris pieces and you're putting them together. There, there's like a piece in the middle and you can rotate that part so you can rotate the piece or make it drop onto your board and then you put it down your board, which is rectangular like a tetris thing and then if you clear a row um, you have a a line at the top that goes up so like you have more room in your space which is kind of like clearing a row in tetris so it was basically like tetris the board game and and i like that so (laughs) it was my number five a heil all right my number five is going to show up later on Andy's list so we'll talk about it when we get to there (laughs) yay we're doing that (laughs) I mean, sure, why not? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So my number four is Project L, which I talked about on the podcast a bit ago because I got it as a review copy. But it is an engine building game, kind of like Splendor. But like instead of having gems, you have polyomino shapes that you put into the little cards. And so like the cards have cut out. They're they're dual layered cardboard and there's cutouts of big polyomino shapes and so you're using your little polyomino shapes to put into there and then like when you complete it then you get the card so that's just fun put, putting them in there and i like engine building so and also the components of project l are really nice so that's project l my number four is baron park baron park designed by phil walker harding is a game where you are literally building a bear park it's a park full of bears different types of bears including koala bears which are not bears and the game recognizes that but they're in there anyway so in baron park you are literally just building out a bear park out of polyominoes all of the enclosures with all of the animals in it are polyomino shaped and you are acquiring them and then adding them to your park trying to complete different objectives and also fill in all of the areas of your park effectively. It's a fairly easy game, pretty straightforward. I've never played with the expansion that adds monorails, and I would really like to at some point, but I've played the base game a decent number of times, and it's always lots of fun. I mean, it's a bear park. Who doesn't love a bear park, right? Like, I want to go to a bear park. Do bear parks exist in the real world? Because if they do, I want to go to one. Um, I like... Yeah, as long as animals are treated humanely, I enjoy zoos and zoo-like things. But yeah, it's, I mean, Phil Walker-Harding is one of my favorite designers. I tend to like his stuff a lot. And so yeah, that's my Baron Park is my number four. My number three was Crystal's number five, and that's number nine. (laughs) (laughs) That's not confusing at all. You know what? I didn't actually set us up for that moment, but I'm really glad it happened. Yeah, I realized what I was saying as I was in the middle of that. That your number three is Crystal's number five, and that is number nine. Yes, you all heard that correct. If you're not familiar, the game is spelled N-M-B-R and then the numeral nine. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, this is a game. You, You have these numbers zero through nine, but each one is like a polyomino shape. 
like weirdly shaped, but it looks kind of like the number. And then you're trying to build up kind of like a pyramid. Well, you, you have layers that you're building up, but on to go to the next layer, you have to have all of the space below it filled up, which is hard because like these numbers have holes in them. <laughs> and they're yeah, and they don't fit together shaped. the ways you want them to. <laughs> yeah. Like you always feel like, oh, if I turn this around, it'll fit perfectly. Nope, yeah. it will not. <laughs> yeah, and like the the numbers come out randomly, so you have a deck of cards that tells you what the next number is going to be. So everyone's doing that, building their own thing, and you want higher because the higher layers get better score. But yeah, I, yeah. I like that the puzzle of putting things together and trying to get it up, but then you can't. <laughs> Yeah. So, well, and it's it's great because the me- the mechanisms are super simple and the mm-hmm. scoring is also relatively simple. It's easy to yeah. tell people like if it's on the ground floor, it's worth its own value. If it's one level up, you multiply it by two and so on mm-hmm. and so forth. And since play is simultaneous, there's no downtime. Everybody's mm-hmm. playing at the same time. And dep- it, depending on how many copies of the game <laughs> yeah. you have, you can play with an unlimited number of players yeah. as well. So you have to have the tiles to accommodate. The base game only uh, has enough four. for four players, I believe. I've actually been intending to buy another copy of the game and like throw out the insert and just put you know everything in one box. But because you can, yeah, you can play with a yeah, hundred people if you had the components to do it. Mm-hmm. I think that's been done at conventions. <laughs> I think it has. Yeah. That sounds like something people would have done by now. But yeah, it's a really simple game. Uh, I've actually played this one by myself solo on an airplane before. So oh, it can fit nice. on an airplane tray table. Nice. So that was Ambie's number three and my number five, number nine. Now moving on to my number three <laughs> is a game that you all heard somewhat recently in our top roll and write game episode and that was cartographers so since i've talked about it recently i won't go too in depth but in cartographers you are a map maker who is putting out different polyomino shapes of different land types trying to accomplish specific goals the goal cards are variable each game so every game of cartographers you play will be a little bit different and it's really fun to take colored pens or pencils and to make your board look really pretty which isn't necessary but (laughs) it just adds that little bit of extra like it's fun to look at a completed cartographer board after the fact because of the variability and the interesting strategy in this one i just really really like cartographers so that's why it is my number three my number two, I actually didn't think about on my first pass of polyomino games because it had a lot more going on. But on VGG, I was looking through the polyomino list and I was like, oh yeah. So my number two is Antiquity, um, which is a very heavy uh, civilization building game <laughs> by Splatter. But you're using polyominoes, like all of the buildings that you're building in your little city, which is a grid square, are polyomino shapes. So in order to build the buildings, you have to have the space for it. And then if you don't have the space, you have to have another city and, and then build the buildings. But it's it's very, like, there's a lot of planning in order to build stuff. You have to, like, get wood and get all the resources and then you use that to build the buildings. And you have to use resources to get other resources and stuff. And there's pollution and stuff. There's a lot of stuff going on. But I like the city building and all of the planning that goes into that. And then I, I like planning out the map grid of the city itself which is the polyomino part so yeah antiquity is my number two all right my number two is a game that i've talked about on the podcast i believe before but not Mm -hmm. for a little while uh, and that is remember our trip 
So this is a game, a Japanese game from Sashi and Sashi, who I've been talking about recently because of their new Let's Make a Bus Route the Dice game. Remember Our Trip is a game where players are collectively trying to remember the details of a trip that they took together. But it is not a cooperative game, as you might think from that theme. Every player has their own player board, and there is a shared board in the middle of the table. Players are adding tokens to their own individual player board as they remember details about the trip. And when they complete certain shapes using those tokens, they then get to add shapes that match to the shared board of where everybody is. And that, those are the actual details of the trip. And once something has been added to the board for everybody, then you can't put stuff on top of it. So basically whoever remembers the details of individual pieces of the trip first gets to place them on the board. And it it's fascinating. It, you know, it kind of has that same, like a little bit of a feeling of the let's make a bus route game where you're like doing things in the same space but individually. And that's pretty rare. There aren't a lot of games that do things similar to this. Mechanically, it's very different from Bus Route, but it still feels the same way in some unique ways. There's a lot of different little nuanced pieces to this game, but needless to say, uh, it is one of my favorite games out of Japan and from Sashi and Sashi. So I really love it. That is Remember Our Trip, my number two. I didn't realize this one was polyomino. I want to try it. I highly, yeah. highly recommend it. <laughs> cool. All right. My number one was, I think, the first polyomino board game I played and one of the first in this, like, spurt of polyomino games, and that is Patchwork, which is a two-player polyomino game about quilting, making a patchwork quilt. You're, like, each putting polyomino pieces onto your your board, but the polyomino pieces are all in the center and you're like taking them from the center and you have access to three in a row. But like when you get them, then then this pawn moves and then the next three in a row is like what the next person can get. So depending on what you buy, it changes what the next person can get. So there's a lot of blocking as you're trying to make sure that the other person can't get the the pieces that you want or like you need to make sure that you can can get the pieces that you want. So that's very... uh, competitive cutthroat game (laughs) because it's only two players yeah and then there's the the whole like trying to make your little square perfect and trying to fill in your pieces really well and um yeah so that's why i like patchwork it's still the simple is very simple compared to like the later games that that have been made by um uwe rosenberg who made patchwork like indian summer and uh other I forget the other He's one. made a lot of polyomino yeah. games, most of which I have not played. <laughs> Cottage Garden, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But like, yeah, I played some of the later ones. I'm like, oh, no, I like Patchwork better. <laughs> so, yeah, Patchwork is still my favorite polyomino game. Patchwork was definitely on my short list. I really, really enjoy it. Yeah, it's great. And I actually, I haven't played the physical board game in a long time, but I have the Patchwork mm. app on my phone. That mm. one's a good time killer if I, you know, need to kill, like five, 10 minutes or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like that app is great. My number one, I almost forgot to put on my list, which is silly (laughs) because for whatever reason, when my brain thinks of polyominoes, for whatever reason, it tries to omit dominoes from that Mm -hmm. equation. And one of my most played board games of all time is King Domino. So it has (laughs) to be my number one. I love King Domino so much. It is simple but wonderful. I teach this to just about everybody I play games with at some point. I own two copies of the game so I can play the seven by seven larger grid with four players if I so choose. I adore this game. And let's see, I own 
Queen Domino, but it is on my to-sell-slash-trade pile because I prefer the simplicity of King Domino. I have not played with the Age of Giants expansion, and I don't really have any desire to. I have played with the print-and-play expansion, and I don't remember what it's called exactly, but Kathy printed it out and brought it over, and we played with that one time, and that was actually pretty fun. I think it's available on Board Game Geek if you look. Like, I think they released it during the pandemic. And so it was oh, like cool. all the files were available online for the print and play. I don't know if they were planning on releasing it formally. I haven't looked into it. Needless to say, just the base game of King Domino gives me such joy. I, I don't know what it is about that game, but I, I never get sick of it. I really, really love it. I'm going to keep teaching it to everybody. And that is why it is my number one polyomino game. We would love to hear from you all what your favorite polyomino games are and which ones we left off of our lists or which ones we should try if we haven't played them before. So please feel free to respond to our social media posts about this episode or post in our Board Game Geek Guild and let us know what your favorite polyomino games are that you think we should try. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, BoardGameBlitz.com, for video and blog content, as well as to get links to all our social media pages. This episode was sponsored by Great Fox Games. Get your copy of the worker placement game Everyone is Buzzing About After the Empire on GameCon. And you can get 20% off non-exclusive items at GreyFoxGames.com when you use the code BGBLITZ21 at checkout. GreyFox Games, quality games cleverly crafted. Join the Blitz Clear community on Discord by following the link in the show notes. You can support the show by leaving us a rating and review on your podcast provider. And if you want behind-the-scenes access and you can invite to our private Slack channel, visit patreon.com slash our theme song was composed by Andrew Mara. Technical support provided at Toby Mount. Morgan Bliss is part of the Dice Power Until next time. Fun! Fun! These games will give ya. Fun! Fun! All board games give ya. Fun! Fun! Bye everyone! Bye! It's going to be happening and we are- my dog is scratched. Okay, Lana, do you have to- t- <laughs> I don't know. If I was it's... like, is this part of the announcement? <laughs> no, she like, she started like scratching her neck. And so her little collar was like, jingle, 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 jingle. And oh. it's like, I, I don't know if it's audible, but I wanted to. Okay. Yeah. You look real f- cheeky. You little minx. Come here. <laughs> Whatever the five, four, three, two, five, four, three, two, zero. So if I, <laughs> I'm trying to do math in my head and it's not working. I told you this was going to be difficult. I warned you all in advance. <laughs> Domino duo, d- dom. I, I don't know what that. It's two. <laughs> that was weird. For video and blog content, as well as the. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is that uh, it? Oh, I have to do the intro. <laughs> oh wait, yes. Whoops. Good thing I didn't <clears throat> stop recording. <laughs>